There was a prominent citizen of Cyprus by the name of Barnabas. When Barnabas became a Christian, he devoted his goods as well as his life to Jesus Christ. Barnabas had a nephew, a young man by the name of John Mark. John Mark's mother, probably the sister of Barnabas, was a woman named Mary. Remember when Peter was being held in prison by Herod? Well, it was at Mary's home that the church assembled for a prayer meeting. And when Peter was released from prison, it was to Mary's wealthy home that Peter went that night. Barnabas. Barnabas was actually the one who vouched for Saul when he placed membership with the Jerusalem church. And Barnabas and Paul then made a trip on behalf of the poor saints at Jerusalem. And when they returned to Antioch, they were accompanied by young John Mark. Well, the church at Antioch sends Paul and Barnabas out preaching the gospel. And when they went on that first missionary journey, they took John Mark with them. Mark accompanied them through the island of Cyprus, and then across the sea to Perga. And then we come to a brief statement that Dr. Luke writes in Acts chapter 13. He says, John Mark left. And returned to Jerusalem. From the attitude that Paul later took, we know that there was no good excuse for John Mark leaving them on that journey. And yet, since Dr. Luke is silent, we can only speculate as to the reasons that John Mark abandoned the enterprise. I like to think that it's because the young man may have gotten homesick. He started thinking about the comfortable bed that he had back home. Maybe he was missing those good home-cooked meals that he had enjoyed sitting at his mother's table. Maybe his early zeal for the adventure had worn off. Possibly the whole enterprise they were engaged in had become distasteful to him and then again maybe maybe John Mark had gotten seasick on the voyage from Cyprus and he had didn't have any Dramamine to ward off the seasickness or it was all those insects they didn't have any off insect repellent he'd been attacked with a good case of malaria or maybe he stood back and took a good long look at those grim Taurus mountains and he'd heard rumors of the robbers and the brigands that roamed those mountains. And Paul was now getting into some difficult and dangerous territory. Paul and Barnabas are about to get into that place that Paul writes about where he was in perils of waters and robbers and by mine own countrymen, by the heathen in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea, and among false brethren. All those things he mentions in the 11th chapter of his 2 Corinthian letter. 
Mark probably saw what was coming. And he just didn't have the stuff inside him to face it. He didn't have the intestinal fortitude to endure it. So he left the elderly Barnabas and the frail Paul to climb the mountain passes by themselves. And John Mark took the first ship back home. Well, Paul and Barnabas are planning their next missionary journey. The Jerusalem conference of Acts chapter 15 on circumcision is ended. And Paul and Barnabas are planning a second trip. And they're ready to start from Antioch. And they're going to go back and visit all the churches they planted on that first missionary journey. And as they're planning the trip and getting the supplies together, Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them on this trip. Paul says, no. Paul says, I'm not going to let that man go with us that deserted us on the first one. Paul refuses to let John Mark accompany them. Paul didn't think it was right. Paul didn't think it was wise to let John Mark go with him after he deserted him. And so we read that this leads to a dispute between Paul and Barnabas. It got so contentious that they split up. Luke says there was a sharp contention between them. In fact, it led to a separation of those two great Christian workers. Paul took Silas. And Paul and Silas headed northward and went to Tarsus. Barnabas took Mark. And they sailed for Cyprus. But this becomes a very different journey for Mark. Paul had been with them on that previous journey. But now Barnabas and John Mark are without Paul. Paul, you see, regarded John Mark as a quitter. Paul considered John Mark to be a coward. He was a deserter. Paul considered him unfit to go with him on that great journey into Asia. And when we see Paul and Silas go into Tarsus and Barnabas and Mark go towards Cyprus, that's the last we hear of John Mark for quite some time. Because you see, John Mark, John Mark is the man who's failed. And he's a man who has failed about as miserably as a man could fail. You know, folks will forgive almost any fault. And folks will forgive almost any weakness but that of cowardice. And that was the charge against Mark. The bravest soul the world has ever known, Paul, had told Mark he wasn't fit to go with him. But in the language of Paul, thanks be to God. That's not the whole story of Mark. If that was all there was to tell of Mark, Mark wouldn't even be worth our time this morning. 
But there's another chapter. There's a better chapter in Mark's history. And that other chapter, that better chapter, is why I find Mark to be a very interesting individual. If God can use men like Mark and Peter, then God can find a place for a flawed man like me also. If God can use a flawed man like Mark or Peter, He can find a place for you of usefulness in the kingdom. You see, the next time we hear of Mark, he's in the company of another one of the apostles, Peter. In his very first epistle, Peter sends a message to Christians that are persecuted and scattered throughout the world. Peter says, the church in Babylon salutes you. Now quite honestly, that is probably the name that Peter was giving to Rome. Because of its debauchery, because of its sinfulness, because of its brokenness, <coughs> he refers to the city of Rome as Babylon. He says, the church that is at Babylon salutes you. And he adds this, he said, Marcus, Marcus, my son saluteth you. By this point, Mark has so approved himself in the eyes of Peter that he's with Peter. He's Peter's companion. He's Peter's friend. In fact, just like Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the gospel, Peter speaks of Mark as his son. So evidently there's complete confidence and a deep affection in the relationship that Peter has with Mark. And then the next mention we have of Mark is also from Rome. And yet this time, Mark is not with Peter. He's with Paul. In his letter to the church at Colossae, Paul sends this greeting in chapter 4 and verse 10. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And Marcus, sister's son, to Barnabas. Paul goes on to write to the church at Colossae. If Mark comes to them, they are to receive him. So what's happened? The one that Paul refused to take with him on the second missionary journey... Mark has completely reestablished himself in the opinion of the Apostle Paul. The implication is that Mark's reputation as a deserter, Mark's reputation as a quitter had gone before him. And Paul wants to make sure that they're not going to hold that against him now. And then at the end of the letter to Philemon, Paul sends to Philemon greetings of Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. He says, these are my fellow workers. But to me, the most beautiful, the most thrilling mention we find of Mark 
is in Paul's last letter. Paul's last letter was the second letter he wrote to Timothy. It's the last letter of his that's preserved for us. It was written not long before Paul's execution. He's in a damp, dark dungeon in prison in Rome. Speculation is that Paul actually dictated the letter and Dr. Luke actually wrote it with his hand. And it was addressed to young timid Timothy, Paul's son in the gospel, who was at Ephesus. Paul urges him to come to him before winter. Because if winter comes, the season for navigation on the Mediterranean has passed. And one of the things he wants him to bring, he says, the coat that I left at Troas with Carpus, when you come, bring with me, bring with you. And bring my cloak also, Paul writes, to keep him warm in that dungeon through the long winter months. He says, the cloak I left at Troas with Carpus when thou comest, bring with thee. And the books and the parchments. And come before winter. And he goes on. He says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Some of his friends are engaged working in other places. Crescens is in Galatia. Titus is in Dalmatia. And he says, only Luke is with me. And then Paul adds one more request. There's one more thing that Paul wants. There's one more friend that Paul wants with him in his last hours in Rome. He says, who is it? Is it Onesimus? The one who had, he had rescued from sin and shame? Is it Aristarchus or Silas, the companions of his journeys? Is it perhaps Priscilla and Aquila? It's none of those. He says to Timothy in verse 11, Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. Paul says, I want Mark. I want the man that deserted me at Perga and left me to climb the mountains alone. He's profitable to me now for the ministry. I want you to bring him. I want Mark the quitter. I want Mark the coward. I want Mark who caused the separation between me and Barnabas. But here's how he says it. Bring Mark. Why, Paul? Why do you want the cowardly Mark? Because he is profitable to me for the ministry. Mark. The man who started out so poorly is making a grand finish. The man that threw away his first chance is making noble use of his second chance. The man first mentioned as a deserter and a coward, that's the man Paul wants with him, facing death at the hands of Nero. He wants the man of weakness and cowardice that wrote the second gospel. It's a remarkable recovery, isn't it? Well, what's involved in that? First, there's Mark's own determination to make good where he'd failed. You know, sometimes 
folks get rebuked. And sometimes when folks are rebuked, they have a totally different attitude than the attitude Mark did. Paul rebuked Mark severely for his weakness. And he rebuked him severely for his failure. Paul refused to let him accompany them on the second journey. And how would some folks have reacted to that? The reaction of some folks, probably a lot of folks, folks I've known over the years for sure, would have been an attitude of defiance. An attitude of anger. Well, if that's the way it's going to be, fine. I don't want anything to do with it anyway. But Mark wasn't defiant. Mark wasn't angry. Mark didn't get angry with Paul. And rather than defiance and anger, Mark's reaction was exactly the opposite. He didn't get angry with Paul and he did not defiantly abandon Christianity. What he did was resolve within his heart that he would show Paul that he could make a man out of himself yet. But then there was something else that played a part in Mark's recovery. Something else that played a, a part in his restoration. And that was the kindness and the sympathy of Peter. And you know, that's not something we should find strange. It's not something we should find out of the ordinary. Peter could look back on his own life. And Peter could see that dark and bitter moment of weakness when he had denied Jesus. The night he had gone out and wept bitter tears. The night that so miserably in Jesus' hour of need, Peter had failed him. So because of his own failure, Peter could sympathize with Mark as probably nobody else could. But Paul also needs to receive some credit for Mark's restoration and his growth. A lesser man than Paul would have never been reconciled to one who deserted him in the hour of need that, as Mark had done at Perga. But with Paul, it wasn't a matter of personal feeling. With Paul, it was a matter of principle. The moment Mark proved he could do better and that he wanted to do better, Paul gave him a second chance. Remember, it was Paul who penned those beautiful words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. Now listen to it. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So in the case of Mark, Paul is practicing what he preached. He told Mark everything was forgiven. And everything was forgotten. Personally speaking, I find something wonderful. I find something heartwarming in what Paul wrote to Timothy. 
take Mark and bring him. He's profitable to me for the ministry. But that's not all of the story. Those parts are not even to me the most wonderful parts of the story. The resolve of Mark that he's going to do better is wonderful. And the love and sympathy of Peter is wonderful also. The forgiveness of Paul is touching. But the most wonderful part of the story is the love and the grace of God. The most wonderful part of the story is the love of God. And God's forgiveness. Because that is what brought Mark back from failure. That's what brought Mark back from failure and sin to a place of usefulness and honor in the Lord's vineyard. All of us. All of us. Are conscious sometimes of our failures. All of us are conscious of our weaknesses. And sometimes we can even look back and we can recall some deep and some tragic failures. Times that we've failed family, friends, even ourselves. We can recall times that we've failed God. Because we failed to give God the very best that we had. We can look at the story of Mark and we can take heart again. Because though we might have failed, through the grace, the love, and the forgiveness of God, we can still succeed. We may have been unprofitable, but we can become profitable what about you have you been unprofitable in times past have you ever given your life to Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ the Lord and the master of your life if he's not and if you've never made that first step toward him I'd beg you to do it before you leave this building this morning in simple trusting faith, repenting of everything that's sin in your life, confessing His name and being buried in baptism for the washing away of past sins and say, Lord, I want You to be Lord and Master of my life. But then maybe you've done that in times past. But like Mark, as he deserted Paul and Barnabas, you've deserted the Lord and you've left the Lord in times past. You haven't lived this kind of life. You haven't been what He wanted you to be. You need to come back. And let brothers and sisters pray with you and pray for you. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what your needs might be. But if there need to be changes made for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, and we can help you make those changes, come and give us the opportunity to do that as together we stand and while we sing.